Path Off is a podcast for marginalized groups to discuss issues affecting them in a safe space. It's brought to you by Forget Me Not Productions, and my name is Clary Sadler. Each podcast, you'll hear empowering interviews by, about, or for marginalized groups. This week, we'll be talking to Simon Lewis, or Corporate Christ, as he's professionally known. Simon is a gay singer, songwriter, musician, producer, author, and blogger hailing from the Welsh Valleys. Simon formed Corporate Christ in 2011, taking the name from the almost religious dogma surrounding capitalism and the hypocrisy of the money-making nature of religion. On social media, Simon uses the tagline, Money is your religion, religion only wants your money, in reference to this. His music often addresses difficult topics that affected him on a personal level, such as growing up as a gay man in the Welsh Valleys, his battle with schizophrenia, drug addiction and mental illness, and the loss of an ex-lover to suicide. Among others, he cites such musical influences as Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails. Coming on the show, Simon, you've got a pretty impressive range of skills there. So tell me, how would you describe yourself in a nutshell? Weird. (laughs) I think I really wanted to use my experiences that I've had in the past to help others. I mean, it's been kind of challenging over the years, but I feel that I want to do that now and give back. I describe Mouth Off, the podcast, as a platform for marginalised groups to get their messages heard. But I know the word marginalized has many connotations so do you think that that label applies to you more on a personal level or a professional level or are those two things sort of synonymous with each other for you i think over time that i became the character of corporate christ those lines became blurred it was a character i dreamt up and something i thought that i wanted to be and then those lines became blurred over time like i said yeah i kind of felt like i was leaving a part of my past behind and wanted to move forward in the future.
seriously i feel that i'm growing as a person and i'm growing into my music and i'm growing into the person that i would like to be okay so following on from that question do you have a main message or a main sort of ethos as corporate christ that you're trying to put out there i think i would like to let people know that no matter how dark things get and things have got dark there is a light there is a light at the end of that and it's about discovering who you are and who you want to be. And a lot of that is about other people. It's about, you know, relating to other people and how you want to make their lives better. So, yeah, I would definitely say that there's an element of rebirth and um, wanting to become the person you always were. 
Your debut album, The Pornographer, addresses your difficult past growing up as a gay boy in Abakan, which is a small mm-hmm. valley's town. <laughs> it you, is. You yes. could sort of say that homosexuality, I mean, I'm not sure about these days, but certainly when we were growing up, yeah, wasn't yeah. widely accepted. Would you have called yourself the only gay in the village? <laughs> Do you feel that the experiences you had growing up where you did impacted on your mental health at all? Definitely impacted on my mental health. I wouldn't say that I was the only gay in the village. I was certainly the most obnoxious one. <laughs> I, I got the impression growing up people thought that I should just sit in the corner and be quiet and know my place. And I wasn't willing to do that. I thought, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, even if you don't like me, I like me. You know? And um, <laughs> putting on a fur coat and sunglasses and mincing around a little village. Really not the best way to make friends. It's something that I felt was important for me, and I hope that people younger than me felt more empowered growing up, that they could also be themselves and not have to worry about fitting in and being in the corner in silence, you know? Yeah, definitely. We went to college together at the same mm-hmm. time, Crossley's yeah, College. Just... and inter- It was a fun time. It was a fun time. Interestingly, the only, because you think the year below me, and the only people I can remember from that year is yourself and Gavin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still still talk to Gavin, yeah. You know, embracing, like you say, your gayness and who you are. It was certainly an awakening time for me. I mean, going to college and suddenly it was like, okay, you're gay. Nobody really cares. It was was kind of... Yeah, okay, we're fine with that. And that was really releasing for me. It was just kind of, wow, you know, I can completely explore my sexuality and me as a person and not have to worry about people bullying me and being hateful and things. So that was certainly an interesting sign for me, yeah. So the album, The Pornographer, talks about um, other issues as well that you faced, so mental health issues specifically. Yeah, yeah. So when did you first notice symptoms of schizophrenia and other issues that you had was that growing up or, you know, later in life? And did you have insight at the time, do you think, as to what was happening?
symptoms appeared during my teenage years in school, but I didn't really recognize them as symptoms of that. That's some very interesting hallucinations and things growing up. I think where it came to a crux was kind of, I was 17, just after I'd finished college. And the symptoms became more manifest, I guess, and were certainly quite severe. And the people around me at the time weren't very understanding, so I felt quite isolated and lonely. The pornography kind of formed in that era, in my mind, this idea of being a voyeur and being behind the camera of a pornographic film where everyone else is having fun and you're kind of stuck behind the camera, just observing, really. And it became more of a thing years later when I was admitted to a psychiatric hospital for five years. And all I could do, really, was go out into the, the garden of the hospital on my mobile phone and just see all my friends in Cardiff having a great time, you know. And I, I was just kind of taking a back seat on that, I guess. Yeah, so it was very much about voyeurism, of having mental health problems. And as far as insight, I, I took many years before I had insight to probably go into the mental health hospital, you know, and I really had to, like, look at myself and realize that there were issues, you know, and these things weren't normal. And, yeah, I had to address all that, and it was difficult. Yeah. Talking again about the pornographer, um, mm -hmm. On the website, on the Corporate Christ website, you describe it as a concept album. I mean, you've spoken a little yeah. bit about that. So can you tell us a bit more about the concept and how it's evolved? It was certainly um, a dark period in my life. As I said, that, that voyeurism, there was, um, I mean, the songs are quite dark in context. They describe bleakness and desperation. I don't know. That, that was basically the concept and how it came about. I feel those periods I've dubbed my dark ages and I'm moving in more to a renaissance era. Yeah. Thing, things seem to be rebirthing for me. I, I feel like I'm becoming my old self and I'm happier. I'm more level-headed. I'm, I'm just feeling good about life and I think that that's an important switch in my life. So yeah, the, the dark ages going into the renaissance was the, the way that I thought about it. You mentioned a little bit about your time in the psychiatric hospital. I think yeah. I remember actually visiting you there with a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. I think we took you for a drive. We maybe went to Starbucks for a cup of coffee. <laughs> we did, we did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we've been in touch on social media, as you do. Mm, yeah. But I hadn't seen you in quite a few years. And I remember being struck by your positive outlook. You know, you said yourself, you had to face your demons yeah, your darkness, but you took ownership of it, and you seem to be acknowledging that these <clears throat> these issues were there, but they yeah. wouldn't define you anymore. No. What do you think it was that flipped that switch for you? That realization. I mean, was it the treatment? Was it just something in uh, you? Yeah. Praise the Lord. <laughs>
think going to the psychiatric hospital, I sat down within the first few days, I had my head in my hands and I just thought something's wrong, something's not right. Because for years, I just thought that the things going on in my head were true. I mean, there's no reason not to believe yourself, is there? And voices and hallucinations, I just thought, well, this is reality. I realized when I went to hospital, things are not right, something's wrong. It was a healing process over several years then. I just kind of got back in touch with what most people consider reality. I mean, that's a kind of thing in itself, you know, what is reality? But I got more in tune with myself, my true self, and what other people experience as reality. And I felt really empowered by that, actually. So yeah, it was a difficult time in the hospital, but in many ways, it very much got me to where I am today. And I, you know, I have to be thankful for that. Thinking about music legends of days gone by <laughs> yeah, yeah. that have sort of gone on record saying, thinking like Jim Morrison of The Doors, mm-hmm. you know, that their creativity was a result of their yeah. free and easy life, abusing drugs and alcohol. Yes, um, yes, and without yes. it, would they have been so creative? Your creativity seems to have been ignited by, like you say, your stay in the hospital, your mental illness to a degree. Would you say the music became an outlet for those demons or darkness as you call it or was it the dark days that inspired the music that you write today I'd say it was both I mean uh, writing is very cathartic to me I like to express different elements of myself in each song but certainly I can't pretend that the things I went through didn't inspire what I do because obviously it's who I am I would say that writing is certainly cathartic and gets out all the things that I've got in my head and in my heart and it's a release it's a real release for me so does being a marginalized musician define you? Or do you think that the unique sound of Corporate Christ would be the same, at least like sonically rather than lyrically, um, if your life had been all sunshine and roses? <laughs> um, I don't think I'd have liked the music that I grew up with and that inspired me if I hadn't felt as depressed as I do. So um, the heavy metal in my teens and then dance music I discovered when I was clubbing in later years and made lots of friends on the LGBT community. So it's it's a little bit of both. I think, yeah, those things definitely played a part. But I I like to think that I'm moving into different eras in my life, you know, as I go on.
Yeah. So if you could go back and speak to your younger self, what would you say? <laughs> uh, I'd give myself the reassurance nobody else did, to be honest. Um, nobody ever in my life has sat me down and made me feel like I'm truly valued. I had to find that for myself, um, which made me a lot stronger in the end. It would have been nice as a teenager if somebody had sat me down and said, you're okay, <laughs> you're yeah. fine, you're a nice person. <laughs> so. The healing power of the arts is undeniable. You've spoken about it to a degree with yeah, music. Yeah. In 2017, you released a synth-pop EP called Adam Cadman, When the Heart Implodes. It documents the days and nights following the suicide of your ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Was the writing and making of the EP therapeutic for you also or did it kind of stir up those old demons
I don't think it stood at demons. I think it was definitely therapeutic for me. And even though the EP is sometimes angry in places, I think that Fred would have appreciated the honesty in it. He was very much about honesty, sometimes hurtful with the things he said. But I, I never felt that way about a guy before. And I don't think my friends really understood how in love I was with him because to them, they just saw problems. He's like this beautiful core, this beautiful soul, and just all these layers of uh, difficulty and depression. Yeah, I, I would say that it was therapeutic, and the reference to the heart implodes kind of was a reference to a star imploding before it goes supernova, and yeah. just kind of the sadness I felt and the shock of finding his body. And I mean, it was a really difficult thing to go through, but I love him in a way. <laughs> he, he was a lovely soul, but this world wasn't for him, and I kind of had to accept that. In the end. Yeah. We talked earlier about uh, lockdown life and mm. <laughs> slightly becoming a little bit more veering towards alcoholism and yeah. other ailments that probably aren't great for you, <laughs> like eating a ton load of chocolate by the day. <laughs> yeah, chocolate and crisps is my downfall. Ah, right. <laughs> <laughs> How is the current pandemic affecting your mental health and well-being in general? Um, and physical health, actually, as well, because I know you've yeah. had a few physical issues also following yeah, yeah. your release from psychiatric hospital. Yeah. I mean, how is that now? And I guess what advice would you give anyone listening that might feel their sanity is being pushed very close to the edge as a result of the, yeah. the sort of lockdown life? released from the psychiatric hospital within months I was being rushed to hospital with a bowel disease ulcerative colitis 
basically everything just falling out to you, but I won't go into, <laughs> won't go into that too much. Either. That kind of flares up every now and again. And uh, over the last couple of years, I've had flare-ups where I just feel exhausted and drained, sometimes pain in my stomach. But uh, as far as the lockdown in general, I've not been that bad. I kind of like my own company. The first two weeks, I think I was drinking a bit too much, but not that on the head because... Yeah, <laughs> nobody wants to be a full-blown alcoholic. <laughs> but um, I've coped with it quite well, and, and now things are easing up a bit. It's nice to see friends. I'm still not able to see family because uh, they live too far away. I'm certainly enjoying meeting up with friends in the park and things, although today's weather's been a bit horrific. <laughs> We've had thunderstorms here, so if you hear the odd clap of thunder, it's not my stomach room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Simon. That's been great. No and thanks for your time and for giving such an open and honest interview. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it really <laughs> was a pleasure to do, honestly. Brilliant. And we can find you on social media, Copper uh, Christ. Uh, I'm on, yeah, Copper Christ on Facebook or Instagram. And uh, the website is corporatechrist.co.uk. You can download my music for free and get some free ebooks if you really want. <laughs> yes, I'm working on a few projects at the moment, so hopefully they'll be added soon. Fantastic. Join us next time on Mouth Off as we interview 14-year-old singer Olivia Lynn and her mum Perry. this morning I don't know why I don't know why Mr. Reynolds said Say hello. I started to cry. I started to cry. They open up about Olivia's experiences of cyberbullying on social media platforms such as TikTok and Instagram. She could never understand why she got bullied. You know, she was always a good student. She was always kind and pleasant to, you know, her peers as well as her teachers. Very helpful to her peers as well as her teachers. The only thing we could ever really put it down to was jealousy. (laughs) 